Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. The Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. New features like the available Pro Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo, including when towing a trailer, so it's easier to load in tight spaces. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro Access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, myself and Tommy Dreamer talk about AEW Dynamite, especially Sting. That main event match from Dynamite and what are we going to see from Sting at AEW Revolution. Also, we talk to the longest tenured referee in WWE history, Mike Chioda, right now on the Busted Open Podcast. So, Sting last night. First of all, I mean, you know, that spot off, off the stage onto the table. I mean, Sting is not taking it easy as he's getting closer to his final match in March. Correct. Uh, I've stated this before, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you again, it is going backwards off of any type of height is scary. Um, going backwards off of a height where you're not going to be landing in water or a crash pad is scarier. Uh, that's a floor. And those are two tables set up. The biggest scare for me was for Hobbs because he's going backwards while somebody has the back of his neck. And, you know, in wrestling that we say, tuck your chin, you tuck your chin. Cause God forbid, if anything happens, you don't break your neck. You can't tuck your chin when you're going off backwards. And actually it's so close to breaking your neck, dying. Um, we've seen wrestlers die in the ring because of the way their head went back the opposite way. Um, not, you know, the opposite of tucking your chin. And even in that, if he didn't have the trapezoids that he had, um, I would have been terrified for him just because of man, it, it's, he he weighs something there's so much and everybody always you know uh, i created the two tables next to each other for safety and it really messes things up when you don't hit it um a lot of times i'd prefer the one table but i get it because the second table always is a little bit wonky um but that spot was super duper dangerous um also, Sting falling backwards like that. He's 62 years old. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just throwing caution in the wind. Here's a guy. I mean, he has, I have so much respect for Sting just because he doesn't need to do this. He does it because he loves it. 
Um, I think he was a little shook at the end. Um, but for safety wise, man, that, that that's a rough bump to take. So shout out to both men for doing it. And uh, it was scary. It was a great end of it. Uh, end of the match for there's a lot of um, negativity when I see it, when older wrestlers are wrestling younger wrestlers and or they're saying, um, you know, Sting should lose to that guy. Man, uh, you just don't understand it or get it. And I'm not saying that because I'm a 50-year-old wrestler. Um, it, It was a great moment. I would have loved, me personally, I would love to see Sting have one more singles match. And that's the thing that kind of, I think a lot of people are talking about coming out of Dynamite from last night, Tommy, is that, and first of all, you got to even talk about what Darby Allen did and that coffin drop outside the ring was crazy as well. Um, but, you know, seeing the young bucks come out, it, it makes you think that what we're going to see in Charlotte, North Carolina, which I think already has sold out uh, for AEW Revolution, that it's going to be a tag match. I, I know for myself, I would much rather see Sting in singles competition. And again, I'm not looking for an epic 25-30 match from Sting at this point. But I just feel like, my opinion, Tommy, it's a bit watered down being if his final match is a tag match. Now, we don't know that yet. No match is set. But when I saw the Young Bucks come out, that's immediately what I thought of. Uh, I did too. I again, Yes, I would love to see a singles match as your last match. Um, don't know if that could be executed. I feel if you had a younger talent to do that, yes, to make Sting great. But Sting has to kind of get into a feud with somebody and somebody real, real quick. Uh, also, I don't know who on the AEW roster or who at all would be a great match, a final match for Sting. In a perfect world, the final match with Sting is Ric Flair, but that's not happening. Not going to happen. And I love seeing Rick in Sting's corner last night. I loved Rick getting into the ring. Uh, but I don't want to see that as Sting's last match. You need somebody younger. Uh, somebody who's going to move around and work their ass off for to have Sting to have one last great singles match. But if they are saying they never said it's like they never stated it like that, it's just going to be Sting's last match. If it yeah. is a tag, and Darby's been a perfect fit for him, and Darby is this generation's uh, Jeff Hardy for his daredevilness, for how much the fans love him. He's an amazing baby face. He's an amazing baby face that blows an amazing comeback, and the people are super-duper behind him. Uh, he just goes all out. I'm a massive Darby Allen fan. No doubt. Um, I just feel like, Tommy, not to interrupt you, but to stay on your point, and the fact that we've, but we, we're continuing to see Sting in tag matches. You mm-hmm. know, whether it was at the last pay-per-view, last night, for example. So, like, it, I think it would be a little bit, anticlimactic that if his last match is the tag match, since we've been seeing him all year being in tag or six man or eight man tag matches, I I just feel like the last thing we we should see from sting is be a singles match. I agree. But they also, I mean, do I think he could do it? Sure. But then who, 
who would be the right opponent for him? I don't know. That's a, it's a, it's a great question. I love what happened at the end of AEW. Honestly, on paper, the young bucks versus sting and, and Darby is one hell of a friggin' match. It really is. Um, I agree. I'd love to see him have one last singles match. I do feel he could have one great last singles match, but then I would have to say, who would it be on an, again, an, a sold out house. I saw, I just watched his match on collision. They had with the work horseman, excellent, fun match. Exactly what it should be. Um, when you're saying goodbye in the fashion that sting is saying goodbye, Sure, you'd want to have one more singles match. We still have, what is it, March? So we have a full month of maybe it's a tag and then maybe somebody else comes in. Maybe somebody screws over Sting and the Young Bucks get the victory in a nice tag match. And then that person talks smack yeah. about Sting. I mean, like, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be that match, but Tony Schiavone did ask Sting, who is your final opponent? And out come the Young Bucks. So I wonder if maybe Sting had somebody else in mind that he was about to say. I don't know. That's another reason why you got to tune into AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. It was a it was an excellent cliffhanger with a very very nice surprise and cool new look by the Young Bucks. They're not really looking like the Young Bucks. They're looking like established gentlemen with those mustaches and their jackets. I love the black and the white, the yin and the yang, and uh, I mean I love the Young Bucks as a tag team. I think they changed the tag team game, and I love love their matches. And I know that might sound crazed coming from me, but I've also worked them, and I'm I'm a big fan of the Super Kick Party. Really am, because I've right. experienced it, and I've understood it. Just like when I got in the ring for the first time with Orange Cassidy, I understood it. But the Bucks were always special, and the Bucks were – a big catalyst for AEW. They met Tony Khan and Tony Khan and were talking with Tony Khan, not knowing who the hell Tony Khan was. And it was another one of those, Hey, I got a, there's a guy who wants to do something. Well, they did something. And I mean, think about how hot the bucks were and how they manipulated social media and how like they had people, at the edge of their, I get can't say seats, or I guess I can, but like at the edge of their phones for whenever they would tweet something. And all this started with, you know, the Dave Meltzer, you know, bet. And yep. now we're five years, we're five years in. I get it. It just does. I, something's missing. Like, and, and maybe the, the, the nation can help me put my finger on it. But when I think of that Darby Sting and Bucks, if that's the way that they go, there, there's something missing there. It just, it just doesn't feel right to me when it comes to Sting. The number one pro wrestling show on the planet, Busted Open, is available seven days a week by subscribing and downloading the Busted Open podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. Join me alongside two WWE Hall of Famers, Mark Henry and Bully Ray, the hardcore legend, Tommy Dreamer, plus Thunder Rosa and Mickey James all week long as we break down everything going on in and out of the ring. Listen to Busted Open right now on the SXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and 
producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bill, and unexpected overage. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. It's crystal clear, and it doesn't kill my monthly budget. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash bustedopen. That's mintmobile.com slash bustedopen. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash bustedopen. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Legend himself, and that is the great Mike Kyoto. Mike, thank you so much for the time and appreciate you coming on this morning. You got it, Dave. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. First of all, man, you got a voice for radio. And I know you've been doing some podcasting lately, so how's that going for you? Man, it's going great. Going great. I've been doing it for three years for ad free company over the uk so uh it's been going great yeah i get that all the time i've I've gotten that for 30 plus years on the road man when i'm you know traveling and planes and everything too man people are like are you a dj are you uh i'm like damn i should have been a dj at a strip club or something you know ladies and gentlemen welcome to the stage uh you know um i i've gotten that for 30 years I, i get that almost every day when i run around here in tampa you know, just from people at Macy's stores and women and this and that. And they think I'm a, a DJ or a radio talk show guy or something like that. And I'm like, damn, I'm, I might be missing the boat here on something. I might be <laughs> doing something wrong for the 35 years I've been in wrestling. But yeah, I don't think that's the though. case, though, Mike. I mean, you're you're a legend. You have been a part of that. so many people's memories. Uh I mean, Rock Hogan, for crying out loud. I mean, right. so so many uh, amazing moments and memories. And I want to get into some things that you've said recently, but but right. really quick, to, before Tommy jumps in, what is that one moment for you that stands out above all others? One moment moving forward or, or in the past? In the past. Like, 
in the past, I mean, all these matches that I've done in my career, I, I mean, if I was to say to myself, oh, 20 years from now, when I, you know, where it was Kurt and Brock, um, Hogan and, you know, uh, and Hogan and Brock and so many other matches, whether it was Shane and, and Kurt. And if you would have said, oh, 20 years from now, those are going to be iconic and legendary matches. I would have been like, yeah, right. You know, I was just in there doing my yeah. job too. Um, was it great to be the third man in the ring? to be a part of all that history and, and icons and work with all those icons and legends. Um, I've worked with Tommy dreamer plenty of times to me. He's a legend ECW man. And all that other stuff goes back way back, you know, um, uh, ECW and Tommy and guys made a, a hell of an appearance back in the day when we used to come to Manhattan center. I mean, it was fucking, it was awesome. You know, him and Rob and all, all those guys coming in and Paulie, um, you know, it was just great to be a part of it. I'm glad I didn't fuck up any matches, you know. Um, and I think that's where, you know, maybe you might get your respect over the last 30-some years you've been refereeing where you never really fucked up as a referee. Because, you know, referees, if you don't do your job in the ring, you're going to get all the heat in, in, in the world from the business, you know. You'll get it from top to bottom, from the boys to the office to everybody. So I'm just glad I was able to get in there and do my job right and, uh, you know, like I like I always say too, I never went in business for myself, man. It was always it was always about business and entertaining the fans and, and doing my job in the ring. Hey Mike, uh just to piggyback from what Dave said, have you ever had a moment like for me, I remember and, and I discussed it yesterday. Yep. and I'm staring across the ring at Greg Valentine. Right. And I'm like, I've watched this man so many times on television. Have you ever had that moment of like, how did I get here? Or like I never thought this was my life while it was happening. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, when, it, you know, when I first started in the business and in, uh, in 85 full-time, I used to work it in 83 with Victor Quiones and, you know, of course, Gula Monsoon owned a certain territory and stuff like that. And, and it was working with Joey. And then I came back into wrestling in 85, 86, and then went full-time 87. I started chief Jay Strombo and Gorilla. They make me a referee. Uh, so it was just, and when, once I got on TV, it was like, holy shit, like, you know, I was looking at myself like, I can't believe I'm on like TV all around the world, you know. And then when you go to Europe and all these places and they're and replaying all these matches and stuff like that, and you and you're on TV all over the world. Yeah, it was a moment. Uh Rock and Hogan. I mean, I was in the business 17 years and, and I, I felt like I marked out tremendously. I was, you know, marking out to rock. You remember the first that first television match, who that was? Um, my first match, the television match, I, I want to say was, uh, Marty Jannetty and, uh, Dwayne Gill or something like that. Nice. I, I want to say it was like, you know, one of the, uh, the extra matches, one of the quick, you know, um, the get over matches. Um, but I remember my first match in the ring was, uh, Barry Horowitz and, um, Steve Lombardi, Brooklyn Brawler. That was my first match in the ring. Think but about the moments. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say you're the longest tenured referee in WWE history. Right. When, and, you know, and you've been doing it 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010. You think about yeah. the decades like you've been a part of all those decades. Right. When you first started out, you mentioned Gorilla Monsoon. Like, was that uh, basically just on the East Coast or was it national when you first started out as a ref? No, that that was uh, just basically on the East Coast. I mean, at that time, um, 
I mean, Tony Gurria was still working with Rick Martell. Um, there was, you know, a bunch of guys to work down at convention center in the summertime. Uh, they used to run a show every Monday night there in the convention center. So to me, it was like, you know, you were making 50 bucks for the robes, 50 bucks for the ring, 50 bucks to play the music, 50 bucks to timekeep. Um, Tony Chimmel was doing other things. And then, um, then, you know, I remember Victor coming to me and say, Hey, you got to sell programs. I'm like programs like Joey didn't want to sell programs. Dick Worley was refereeing at the time too, as well. And I said, what am I going to make off of programs? 10 cents off the dollar. I said, Oh my God. So the venue only held like 12 or 1300 people, but I used to go out and sell programs. I'd sell 3000 in a night because it was like just an eight page program with one card in it. And it would be Andre or big John stud. People were just buying it because it was a dollar, you know, even that they wouldn't even get in. They were just buying because Andre was on the cover or certain other guys were on the cover. And so I used to make $3,000, you know, just selling pro, I mean, 300 awesome. bucks off wow. the of $3,000 because 10 cents off the dollar, I'd walk away with 500 bucks. Just, and it was all about hustling. We used to do Salisbury, Maryland, Spectrum. Uh, we used to do the, like the TV for Philadelphia, you know, channel 29 or 57, I believe we were on or something like that. Um, so it was on like, you know, local TVs, like New York had local TVs at the time too, when we started with WWE. But um, we used to just do like uh, Salisbury, Maryland, Spectrum, the convention center, like little, little spots like that. Awesome. When you say the convention center, where was that Philly or Wildwood? No, that was Wildwood. Wildwood yeah, that's Jersey, what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Wildwood on the boardwalk. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Not a bad like living, that. not a bad living at that age. No, I mean, bro, I mean, Tommy, I had four cars by the time I was 17, and that was from <laughs> wrestling. My dad did called Gorilla and said, Is he really because he thought I was selling drugs and doing all kinds of shit and everything? And I'm like, I had I had rolls of 20s, like you know, in rubber bands, because I used to see Gorilla Monsoon always roll. He used to have a wad of money on him all the time, and it'd be in his big thick rubber band, you know. So I started putting all this and my mom would find all this shit in a sock drawer and she had a waterbed waveless waterbed i remember i'd come home and she goes what's all this fucking money doing on the fucking in, in your drawer where are you getting this from no wonder you're not asking for 20 bucks or 40 bucks i'm like what's 20 or 40 bucks gonna get me anyway <laughs> amazing that's amazing but, yeah that that's awesome because you you know just hearing you kind of pay your dues but at the same time having fun and yeah. being a part of wrestling yeah. history, it's 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 just amazing. And speaking of history, one of the reasons why you want we wanted to get you on, Mike, is on your podcast you mentioned the Undertaker, and That's a lot true. of people think I'm crazy, especially the guy I do the show with here in Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> uh, about like I feel the Undertaker has earned one last match in front of fans. As you yes. remember, Mike, the last match that he had was a cinematic match at WrestleMania. Uh, you know, was during the lockdown, no fans present. He did that right. cinematic match. Man, a guy like The Undertaker, especially being a part of history with the WrestleMania streak and everything, I feel like he needs and deserves that one last moment in front of tens of thousands of fans. You said on your podcast that you saw him. He looks great. He looks healthy. Do you think The Undertaker could have that one last match? Yes, it, my, I'm definitely sure he can have one last match. I'd like to see Taker well strong. You know, I was a person in the business that I, you know, working for WWE and working with Taker all these years, I never thought Taker's streak should have been broken in the first place. 
You didn't need Brock Lesnar to get over to go over on The Undertaker. I mean, Brock Lesnar was just over, period. So, I mean, yeah, I know that's a business thing between Vince and whoever, and if there's money involved or whatever. But I thought, personally, his streak should have never been broken. That's Agreed. one streak should have stayed, stayed straight on, undefeated, all the way through. Um, personally, I felt horrible for Goldberg and Taker. You know, in Saudi Arabia, yeah, uh, it just didn't. It just didn't go down. Um, some people say he uh, Goldberg was knocked out before he even got to the ring. I disagree with that because um, Taker had this phenomenal entrance. We went on real late, went on about midnight. Everybody was sleeping in the dressing room because everybody was so jet lagged. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I remember doing a, a Red Bull or a Rockstar that I brought with me. You know, I brought some drinks with me. I remember doing one at 11 o'clock at night because I'm like, shit, we're not going on till about midnight. You know, and I'm like, I'm always timing those Red Bulls or whatever. So, I, I mean, I felt horrible because Goldberg came in the ring when Taker had this, you know, of course, his um, phenomenal entrance and everything. It took a while. He even ran the whole match back to me, you know, in during that time. So he he had his wits and everything. It was just um, it all went downhill when he went and hit that hit his head on the turnbuckle. I mean, I don't know if he caught it on the bottom nut from the rope. There's always bottom bolts that hang, and bottom you know, and, and there's a nut on the bottom, but there's bolts that hang. If he hit it straight on to that thing, I really didn't see it for that quick second how he did it. But when he came back out, he was gashed open, and he just he just declined after that. You know, so I felt bad because things could have went really sour in that match. And I just felt bad for Taker, felt bad for Goldberg. Um, and I'd like to see Taker go out strong, man. I yeah. Mean, you know, the last match he really deserves and go the fuck over strong. <laughs> <You> know, I <laughs> love it. I love it. I, mean, I really who on the current roster would you like to see them him wrestle? Oof. Um Probably, oh man, I, I I can't can't say CM Punk because, oh man, yeah, it's a, that's a good question, Tommy. I really, you know, on the current roster right now, I, I really uh, maybe Brock Lesnar. I mean, who's Brock got? Right, right now, we're, hope, we're hoping nobody. Uh, um, we're hoping Gunther. Yeah, would yeah, be yeah. a hell of a match to help pass the torch to Gunther. Gunther, yeah, true. Um, David, before I throw this at you. Go ahead, Tommy. What if it was Undertaker Cody? Oh. Well, then Cody would have to go over. Um <laughs> Yeah, that see that now here's my thing there. Everybody, everybody thought Cody was going over last year. Yes. Now I kept saying on my podcast, there's no way Cody's going over. To me, it wasn't like Triple H was gonna let Cody come in or whoever is running everything over there. But to me, it just with Cody being injured all that time and being out when he first got there, he was out for quite a few months. I mean, to me, it was like Cody was, if he didn't go over on all the roster over there, he just wasn't going to come in and go over at WrestleMania if he didn't go through the roster at WWE. No matter what he did at AEW, which was phenomenal, and started that business over there. But I just didn't think Cody was going over. It wasn't, you know, they were going to pass the torch to him this year. And, you know, make him go through the hard ways. And then after WrestleMania, Brock's beating the shit out of him. And then Cody turns it back around. Um, I just think that they were going to make him climb that step 
through the WWE roster. And then this year, if this year, and then if he faced the Undertaker, he's got to wait till next year. Yeah, fuck that. He needs to. He needs. He needs to be Roman Reigns at like Mike. Seriously, right, he right. he need. From what you just said, he needs to beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 40, right? That's correct. And I and yeah. I didn't even think I was and I was even wondering to myself, is Roman even going to have the title by next WrestleMania? You know, yeah. to where Cody is going to get his his paybacks. It was it's almost like paybacks when you know Cena was running. You know, Rock left, took the torch. He got like Hogan passed, got the torch passed by Andre. At that time in 202, I feel like you know Hogan was passing the torch to the Rock. Then the Rock takes that torch. Eventually, goes to fucking Hollywood. You know. Yep. So then, Cena's running the crew for like ten years, a decade, running hard, working hard, did a lot of stuff, and then the Rock comes in, and then goes over on Cena in the first WrestleMania they meet. Yep. And then they had to give it back to Cena somehow, right? So Rock comes back to WrestleMania, and Cena gets his paybacks. You know, but I think this is um. This is where it's got to be. I mean, Roman's got to face Cody if Cody wants any redemption in his, in his big win at WrestleMania. I totally agree with that one. Uh, was Cody instrumental in bringing you in for AEW when you yeah, were with he AEW? Was all, he was he was all about it. He was definitely wow. all about it. I mean, he you know looked me in the eye several times and just man, I need you here. I want you here to help train the referees. Uh, if you you know wouldn't mind doing matches here and there. I, he goes, if, he goes, you want to work part-time or full-time? I said, man, I'll, I'll work full-time, you know? Um, definitely, I mean, I, I don't mind. I still got it. I still got some left in me and stuff. And uh, Cody just, um, he was real serious about getting me in. And and then a little while later, he was having problems with himself, I, I believe, at you know, AEW, and that's why he winded back up at WWE. Yeah. Um. What do you think about the WWE right now? It seems to be a lot of shifting, a lot of transition, and it yeah. seems like now we're seeing the era of Triple H, at least creatively, in the WWE. Right, right. And, and Triple H does a fantastic job. I mean, if anybody knows the business, it's Triple H. Um, inside and out, man. Inside and out. I mean, he's taught me a lot about refereeing, him and Sean, back in the day when I was growing up. I remember when Triple H came into the business, I mean, he taught me a lot with the push and the shove stuff, you know, that me and Earl used to do with him and just so many things. And Triple H used to work with referees so good. Um, I feel bad. I just feel like it's, you know, when I first started, it was a family-owned business. There was Vince, Linda, there was Shane, Stephanie, and all that. And I just feel like it's just all kind of just all separated, you know, which breaks my heart in, in a way to see a family business, you know, um, it just separated in many different ways, but um, Vince has done a great job, and it, I had a great career working for that family man, working with them and for him, you know. And um, you know, I, I gave my heart and saw. I mean, you know, me and Tony Chimelo always said we didn't miss one fucking ring shot. You know, twenty three years on on ring crew, you know, we which we did boat jobs for a long, long time. Um, and twenty three years, we never missed a ring crew shot, man, never. You know, you wow. never canceled the show and said the ring didn't show up here, whether it was snowing, storming, whatever, or how long it took to get there. And then we took pride in that, you know, took a lot of pride in that. And you should, uh, because you're like a big part of history and it's, 
it's for, you know, employees like you, Mike, and for people who are dedicated like you that the WWE is as successful as it is now. You're part of that foundation. You know, like I said, through the, the end of the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, all, all, I mean, to be able to do a job for that long when you know that in an industry where there is a lot of turnover, to say that you're the longest tenured referee in WWE history, that's something you should be very, very proud of. Yeah, I sure am. I sure am proud of it. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of a lot of things we did in the company. Like, you know, Tony Chimley, he lives like two hours from me in Florida, Fort Myers. And we were sitting here talking one day. We were talking one day. And I said, you know, Chimel, you know how we used to say we see all the talent come and go? We've seen this guy come and go. We've seen this guy come and go. Uh, you know, Chimel always go, ah, we've seen him come and we've seen him go, Kyoto. I said, now we've seen ourselves come and go. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, you know, I used to walk in production, Chimel go, Kyoto, these fucking kids these days, they don't know how to do shit. They they cry if they have to do a fucking ring all day or work 18 hours a day and do this and do that. He was like, you know, we were fucking knee-high rice patties driving the ring truck, setting up the crew, you know, setting up the cages. He goes, these kids don't know how to do shit. They bitch about being on the road for this many days. He was like, we're the ones who built this business. We're the ones who started this business. I'm like, Chimel, shut the fuck up. I'm like, you're going to get his fucking heat. Yeah, no. Hey, uh, Mike, real quick. Your uh, Mount Rushmore of referees. Man, you know, a lot of people say I should be in the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. You know, I've, I've pitched the fact to the Hall of Fame, Joey Morella, for the longest time. Um, uh, I believe... You know, I, I never want to put myself in it. Um, you can. It's your, whole, it's your Mount Rushmore. No, I, I think you're that. worthy. No, but the longest tenured referee in WWE history needs to be on the Mount Rushmore. So you're yeah, on. Well, you're in the Mount Rushmore. There you go. Well, you I got three more spots. That, I, you got three I, more you know, spots. I always want to be humble and stuff. So, I mean, I, I believe uh, Earl Hebner should be in there. Joey. Joey should be in there because Joey started this whole thing. You know, Joey, as a referee, Joey. Did a lot of incredible matches, whether it was Rock, I mean, um, Hogan and Andre, uh, Davey Boy and uh, Bret Hart and Wembley Stadium. And he'd done so many other matches before he had passed. He had a short career. Um, I know Tommy, I, I, I've i never seen much of Tommy Young, but Tommy Young, That's he probably one. should be in there. You know, Tommy Young. Train, train the Hebners. Yeah, yeah, that's a, right. so, that's I mean, a great you know, Mount Rushmore, Mike. Is hell of a Mount Rushmore. And I think Charles Robinson should eventually be on there, you know. So I, I know I, it sucks that the Rushmore is only four people. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, yeah, it's a it's a give and take. Like, and I, you know, if there's another referee that gets put in the Hall of Fame, you know, man, if it's Joey, I'd be happy as a pig and shit, man. I really would, man, if it's Joey. You know, and, and I'd like to see Earl get in there, too, as well, you know. Agreed. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open every day of the week at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Foundation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.